Welcome to Culture Camp. On today's episode, Sean and I get back on the bike to bring in a new year and a new work ethic towards the show with a lighter episode. Sean reveals a secret that young men already know. I refuse to discuss Amazon's Wheel of Time again, and together we tackle the subject of gatekeeping in pop culture. You can email us at culturecamp.cast at gmail.com. That's K-U-L-T-U-R-E-K-A-M-P dot cast at gmail.com to send us comments, questions, or topic ideas. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or request our RSS feed on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at CultureCampCast and on Minds.com at CultureCamp. So, uh, this is Sean, and I'm sitting here with Tom, and I'm glad to be back. We've taken quite a hi- uh, quite a hiatus. I hope everybody had a very, very Merry Christmas, and I hope everybody enjoyed their holidays. Uh, I know the holidays can be rough on quite a few people. Uh, it was rough on us, and we were all very busy. And so now we're back, and we're making an episode, and we are going to do our very, very best, our New Year's resolution, to make at least one episode a month. So, you know, Yorgo, you can quit sending me incredibly violent, aggressive text messages asking where the next episode is and then threatening to cave my head in. So, uh, without further ado, today we were going to have a theme of Cartoons Part 2, but it turns out to get us back into the groove, we're going to go a little bit more organic about it. Uh, We're going to move between uh, sort of the Disney sphere and Marvel. We're probably going to focus a lot on Star Wars. And we're really just going to orbit between some pop culture topics we're both pretty well read on or just that we care about a lot. So to start off, uh, what is there that can be said that hasn't been said already about Star Wars? I don't know. I don't know how original I'm going to be able to be in this episode. But I have a very complex relationship with Star Wars. Uh, Whenever I was a boy... My older sister showed me all three Star Wars movies, right? And I mean, like, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. And so what that means is I saw episode uh, four, five, and six. Yeah, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. By the way, Return of the Jedi is the best one of those movies. Fight me. So (laughs) Agree to disagree. Uh, okay, no, so like, look, I just love, I love Jim Henson. Every single thing the the Henson company has done from, like, Dark Crystal to Farscape, I'm always in love with. And, like, whenever I, I think it's because I saw Return of the Jedi as a kid, and I thought all the aliens in Return of the Jedi were the coolest thing that i ever seen. So, anyway, Star Wars, I was obsessed. There's somewhere in my parents' attic, there's a purple box that's just filled with plastic star wars crap that my nephews get to be uninterested in now because they don't know how to appreciate gold (laughs) that is in front of them now as i got older and i think as i got more cynical and jaded i grew away from star wars and that's because star wars is very very simple archetypical storytelling which has its value but i grew into things like dune and warhammer uh, I went through a goober phase where I was really into Star Trek. That didn't last very long. Uh, you mean liberal veggie tales? <laughs> liberal veggie tales. That that ah uh, yes, we're the the communist space vegans. They're always right. Ah uh, yes. So 
I come back to Star Wars every now and then. Uh, whenever I was a kid, I was taken to the theaters and I watched, you know, episodes one, two, and three. And, you know, as like a 10-year-old kid, I thought they were the best things I've ever seen in the world. Episode one came out on my birthday and I left school early to go see it. Bro. Uh, now, as an adult, I look back at that and I still hate Jar Jar Binks. I tend to agree. I think that the internet conspiracy theories about Jar Jar Binks being Darth the real Jar Sith Jar. Lord. I, I wish that could have come true, but I just don't think it's in the cards. I don't think that was ever actually a thing. For anybody who's curious, look up Darth Jar Jar. I, I think it started with some crappy Reddit thread where somebody's just like, Jar Jar is so stupid and bumbling it can only be intentional. And if you read it, you might actually get red-pilled on the idea of Darth Jar Jar because it's very feasible that, that Jar Jar might be the mastermind behind Palpatine. So anyway, uh, I love Star Wars very, very much, which is very sad for me because I hated with every fiber of my being the new movies that were done by uh, Kathleen Kennedy and uh, Ryan. Ryan Johnson Ryan did Johnson. Um, The Last Jedi. Uh, J. Was it J.J. Abrams? Yeah, sorry, J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and uh, Kathleen Kennedy. I think she was just a producer. I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, either way, I mean, uh, her direction did the series absolutely no favors. And I'm going to be real with you. I didn't even watch The Last Star Wars, and I still haven't seen it, and I'm probably never going to see it. Uh, and anybody who's just like, you can't judge it if you haven't seen it. Well, I watched the first two, and they sucked so bad, I'm genuinely afraid that if I finally watch this last one, which is like, what is it called? The, uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, if I watch The Rise of Skywalker, that my eyes will explode. So I'm going to go ahead and not do that. Having had seen The Rise of Skywalker, I almost want to show it to you just so you can, you know, share in the misery a little bit like that scene in event horizon where Sam Neill is pulling out Lawrence Fishburne's <laughs> eyes. I was like, showing do you see, <laughs> do you see? No, it's it. I'm, I'm right there with you. It was a formative part of my youth. I had all the action figures. I had the, the X wing toy. I had a millennium. I'm wearing a millennium Falcon t-shirt. Right oh, hey, now. You are. What do you know? Um, I, Dude, we're such nerds. I'm wearing a I'm wearing a Wayland Utani Building Better Worlds T-shirt, and he's wearing a Millennium Falcon T-shirt. I didn't even I, that wasn't planned. No, um, but one one of my earliest memories is my dad building a little plywood frame to put a VHS tape combo TV in my mom's minivan, so that on our road trip to Disney World when I was all of six years old, I could watch the original trilogy on VHS on the highway. That is incredibly wholesome. And that's the most wholesome thing you'll hear all day from us because it it's a deep, dark hole we're going to get into. But I, I love Star Wars. I, I love the story. I love the characters. Um, I even remember in middle school being taught the concept of archetypes using... Uh, Star Wars A New Hope. No, so my my high school teacher, I explicitly remember in high school, uh, we learned a whole bunch of the big literary archetypes through Star Wars, and it's it worked, and it's because Star Wars is in many ways like it's a classic Western hero arc story. I mean, it's it's part. I'd say it's part of the Western mythos. And I think the failure of Star Wars to strike not only with me but with a lot of other people. 
actually has to do with precisely this violation of the classical story formula. Because whenever I see like all these new infusions of ideas into Star Wars and adding all sorts of new characters and changing dynamics, I think probably the one, like, as an example, uh, in, in the first one, The Force Awakens, there was a character played by like the lady who played Ellen in Jurassic Park, uh, Laura Dern. Uh, shit, that was in Rise of Skywalker. Rise of she, no, or, she, no uh, uh, Last Jedi. It, it, that should tell you how forgettable the character was. We can't even remember which movie she's but, in. But uh, either way, she, I remember she played some unbearable character that, like, she didn't tell her underlings her plan, and so they did something stupid. Well, and she's supposed to be some kind of military officer, and she shows up in this kind of, like, formal gown with purple hair, doesn't confide in any of her command crew, and ends up just blowing herself up to minimal effect because the the fleet that was chasing the the uh the resistance ends up following them to the planet anyway well okay so like as soon as i saw her i was like oh she's like a caricature right she looks like the fever dream of some like uh right right wing youtuber of just like this is what every social justice warrior looks like and they put her on screen and i'm like it's like a fever dream from like the quartering or something right <laughs> there's just like, Jeremy is losing his mind. There's this woman with pink hair and a nightgown who's just like, I'm amazing. Don't question my orders. And I'm watching the whole time. She's just not... Every other character in there was unbearable. And there is no hero arc. There's no, no like, Finn... Here's the thing. I thought that Finn's arc, where he's a stormtrooper, and he, like, goes and, like, commits war crimes and then has this incredible just, like, oh, my God, maybe, like, are we the baddies? Dude, that was such an incredible arc. I'm not one of these people, like... You know, I have uh, I, I have very complex opinions about diversity casting, but in this case, like, it's not infeasible that a stormtrooper would be black. But that aside, his story arc was really, really cool. It was it was very cool. It could have been incredibly compelling, and you could see the seeds of what would have been a great story that the Empire has been, you know, picking up all these kids and turning them into child soldiers and brainwashing them, and at the same time, they're they're sowing the seeds of their own destruction because they're bringing in force sensitive people. And all it takes is one to kind of sow the seed of rebellion within. And you now have this whole new generation of Jedi and they're, they're growing inside the empire itself. Yeah. That would have been an incredible story. Well, here's the thing for the, for the 10 minutes that the movie cared about it. I was so interested in Finn's story arc is just like, I was interested in Finn's story arc, and then it got to Ray, and I just did not care about Ray whatsoever. To be, now, to be fair, something I will say about the Star Wars universe, uh, I'm one of the few people who actually enjoyed the Solo movie. I would, I would agree. I thought it was pretty good. I had like, I had a fun. It was a Star Wars adventure. Yeah. It, it felt like a real Star Wars adventure. And after seeing those absolute turds of other movies, Solo actually like made me feel. I was like, yeah, yeah, I feel like a kid again. And one of the things they do in there is so like Solo. Spoiler alert: When he's a kid, he goes and he joins the Imperial Infantry. And he meets a whole bunch of other like mercenaries and hijackers while he, uh, who are pretending to be in the infantry as well. And you actually get to see what life is like for just a regular foot soldier uh, in the Empire. And like, guess what? It sucks. So just like Finn having this crisis where he commits a war crime and all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, like maybe I'm fighting with the bad guys. Or seeing Solo fight, I think maybe, you know, that really struck a chord with me seeing that those are stories I want to see more, but those are stories that the new franchises seem super uninterested in. No, they, they want to tell the story of an outcast who, uh, all of a sudden has magic powers and everything goes their way, even if it seems not to. Um, and we have to, you know, 
champion this idea that somehow being an outcast makes you worthy of victory. Well, this is like, uh, this is, uh, the, the classic, uh, I think anybody who's familiar with any criticism of the new Star Wars at this point has, you know, has heard the line that Ray is a Mary Sue and that's 100% true. And here's the thing. I don't like Mary Sue's and I don't like Gary Sue's either. Right. I, I watched the, uh, Oh hell. What's the name? What's, what's that? What's that boomer bait? Tom Clancy thing. Uh, Amazon. Jack Ryan. Look, Jack Ryan's a Gary Sue. Or no, yeah. uh, is it Jack Ryan? No, the really huge buff guy. Oh, Reacher. 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 Jack Reacher's a Gary Sue. Big Gary Sue energy. Oh, yeah. Right? Don't get me wrong. That's a fun show as well, but I get what you're saying. No, like that's things like it's fun to watch, but at the same time you're sitting there and you're like, there's no struggle. You know, this guy effortlessly like shanks like six dudes in prison that corner him in a shower and you're like, okay. <laughs> I actually just watched that episode okay, yesterday. Dude. All right, like fine. There, no. The point is, like, heroes struggle. Now, Luke uh, has, like, Luke doesn't take to his powers immediately. Indeed, he spends a lot of time uh, getting cajoled and harassed by Yoda to to get good and suck less. Well, not just that. He begins learning about this this power that he has from a mysterious teacher who dies before really getting into it. And he's then kind of cajoled by the ghost of this teacher to go find another teacher. And to get into the expanded universe of Star Wars a little bit, Luke isn't on Dagobah with Yoda for a couple days or even a couple weeks. He's there for months training. And you can see even just the little snippets that it's very physically demanding training. I mean, picking up rocks even with your mind and then running through the jungle with you know Yoda on his back... And doing all these athletic flips and stuff. That was supposedly every day for months. So this was not just, oh, show up, learn a couple magic words, and congratulations, you're Harry Potter. No, this was someone who... You're a Jedi, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was someone who actually went through a process of training, even if it was a very short training period relative to what other characters in the past of this universe would have uh, endured. But it was not, oh, you meet this character, now you, now he has all these powers. And even after that, we see him fighting Darth Vader at the climax of Empire Strikes Back, and for a while, Vader is just kind of toying with him. I mean, the one-handed swings of Vader's lightsaber is like, okay, whatever, dude, you're you obviously have no idea what you're doing here, so I may just kill some time. Yeah, but my son is some weak ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you can actually see, I think there was a deleted scene. I think that was sur- that surfaced recently um, that goes into a little bit more. But you can see there's a tonal shift in that fight um, after they leave the carbonite freezing room. You can actually see Vader get more angry. And when he starts flinging stuff around with the force and he start and, and he shifts from a one-handed uh, style with a lightsaber to a two-handed style. And that's when the fight really starts going bad for Luke and Luke loses. I mean, there's no other way around it. A Gary Sue or a Mary Sue, they don't lose their fights. He gets bullied by his own dad. Yeah. Which is like, and so here, that's the point, though, is because whenever I was watching, and it's been a while since I've watched the new Star Wars movies that had Rey in them, but the whole time I was sitting there watching and I was like, look, it's visually stunning, but I'm I'm going to be real 
uh, every, so every single person that I talk to about movies nowadays, because I'm I'm sort of sliding into a different problem. So first of all, Ray's a Mary Sue. She doesn't suffer as much as Luke or anybody else. Uh, pretty much all the like the transplant transplant men as women female heroines they're like i'm strong and i'm amazing and everything i do is ethereal and right from like ms marvel to ray it sucks and i don't like watching it if you like watching it i guess we just have a disagreement on what's on what's good which i mean is subjective up to a certain point and before anyone gets angry saying, oh, you just hate strong women characters, the man is literally wearing a Wayland yutani shirt from a franchise that was built on strong female character uh, Ellen Ripley, who is probably one of the most badass women in all of fiction. I, Sigourney Weaver, imprinted <laughs> on me. Like, look, all right, a little secret for, like, the ladies out there. Whenever uh, you're, like, a boy and you see, like, a woman who's really badass that you really like, that woman imprints on you and then you're going to spend the rest of your life just looking for women that look and act vaguely like that person have the great misfortune of being imprinted by the absolute queen known (laughs) as Sigourney Weaver playing the absolute badass Ellen Ripley. And of course her daughter in, uh, alien isolation, what should have been the next alien movie instead of all that crap from Joss Whedon or whatever, Amanda Ripley. And for me, it was Linda Hamilton in uh, Terminator. Terminator. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. That's the, oh my God. You don't like strong women. Like, all right, kiss my ass. Uh, But, uh, but no. So it's like the difference between that and like Ray, because Ray's almost like not, I, you like, there's nothing about her personality to find out. No, everything we know about Ray, we find out in the first few minutes and there's no, the the mystery of who her family is. Okay. That's kind of disposable. There's nothing. She's not hiding some great secret, um, you know, like conflict within. She doesn't have some great crime she committed. There's no greater hope for her than finding out who her family is. And we learn about that almost immediately. But she also never really displays vulnerability. She never displays any kind of weakness. Um, it's just she throws spaghetti at the wall and hopes it sticks, narratively speaking. And it just happens to work out every single time. Dude, so here's the thing is that whenever I bring up this complaint to people who uh, I'm, I'm going to call, I'm just going to say the, the word normies with a tone. Whenever I'm talking to people who are normies because they're not me and they don't have my elite awesome opinions uh whenever I, but whenever i'm complaining about this to people the number one pushback that i get is well first of all i rarely get pushback because uh even people who like stand really big for the new movies are just like yeah they were a little bit more hollow than pretty much anything else around them and that's because that's aggressively obvious to anybody but the number one excuse you'll get in return is that yes but they're visually stunning or i think my least favorite one that i get from uh people i know who are much more familiar with like uh the the graphics industry and like video games and movies they're like oh i just go to it for the visuals right like here's the thing now is like good visuals in a movie are a dime a dozen right and i know they don't cost a dime but like movie studios drop millions on these visually stunning movies that have absolutely just ass content and it doesn't make me care about the visuals anymore right like if we lived in an era where because like you can have the opposite you can have absolutely just impoverished production value but incredible storytelling. If anybody's bored, get on YouTube and look up The Man from Earth. Yes, I For was just re- thinking that. That is an incredible movie. And 
honestly for some look reason it it's com- it's highly compelling but you're just like dude was this filmed on a phone before smartphones existed i i think it was <laughs> I, I think it was done on like one of those uh handy cams that they just put on a tripod occasionally yeah and you can tell but you sit there and watch the whole two-hour thing and you're just like oh this is content without production value. yeah and and it's the exact opposite uh to 90 percent of what's put on theater screens these days um and don't get us wrong there there are a lot of movies that are out there that are incredibly fun to watch i really enjoyed top gun maverick um it you like you like tom cruise fighting vague enemy where they never quite show <laughs> any sort of definitive na- indicator of nationality it could be, like it's cold so it could be the russians there's there's some persian coding in there there's some chinese coding i i do i enjoyed that it, it was fun <laughs> it was nostalgia and it was fun it was and more than that it was fun nostalgia which i think star Wars the the modern trilogy of star wars tried to capture but it didn't work so my chief complaint about episode seven, uh, The Force Awakens, is that it was literally a new hope just with the spirit, the serial number, you know, scrubbed off. Well, no, no, it's the new. Ho- no, it's like if you look at the the sort of things that people like Kathleen Kennedy were going around saying, uh, you can tell what it is. And it's like, all right, we wanted the nostalgia. So we basically just took the old movie frame by frame. But we all recognize that we're racists and sexists now. And now that we recognize that, what kind of movie are we going to make? And what's the answer? I have a female protagonist who's basically like an empty vessel for whatever. And then some like Asian actress with a crappy haircut that's always correcting Finn that I found cringeworthy. You just didn't say, and then like uh, Admiral Haldo, the, the fever dream of a social justice warrior. And then for some reason... Uh, Whenever they, I was amazed by the way. There was a scene in the movie where they figured out they could take out this star destroyer by like engaging the FTL drive into yes. the ship. And I'm like, why wouldn't you just do, do like make missiles with a little FTL drive? Okay. Do that all the time. Okay, when that scene happened, I have to admit that was a. We've talked about the visuals. That was a visually stunning and beautiful, uh, stunning and brave, stunning and brave. But no, it, it, and it legitimately was a beautiful scene in, in its composition, in everything about it, but it was done better in one of the Warhammer novels. There is a novel about the battle for Kalf that takes place during the Horus Heresy, and it's kicked off by uh, the forces of Chaos, the, the traitor Space Marine Legion, hijacking a, uh, a uh, ship out by the Lagrange point of this uh, planetary system and accelerating it to a significant fraction of light speed into a shipyard, an orbital shipyard. And what takes roughly seven seconds of real time is spread out over almost an entire chapter as it describes this ship impacting a uh, space station and then everything that happens around it where the shields begin, you know, swatting smaller uh, fleet tenders out of the way, where all the little, um, you know, maintenance ships are slowly destroyed, and then it hits, and there's just this incredible wave of light, and you can, and it just describes it in such a beautiful way that it's terrifying at the same time for its scale of destruction, and I just wish that we had gotten that and the story that surrounded that instead of The Last Jedi. 
Well, what we got in the last show, what I was referencing specifically with that is that uh, plot wise. So this is why. So first of all, Star Wars is to a greater degree than even Warhammer space fantasy. It's not 100 percent. And there is. And for those of you who don't know the difference that we're drawing here, sci fi science fiction is interested in science where it's like fantasy is just a fantastical setting and space fantasy is just fantasy set in space. Star Wars is knights and wizards. Yeah. There is, there is nothing inherently interested uh, in Star Wars that is interested in science and how it works, which is look, here's the thing. That's fine. There are some settings I enjoy in that, but it's not like, uh, like Dune, right? Dune actually like, uh, uh, now, Dune has its fantasy elements, certainly, but it gets far more into the physics. Dune is much more. Inter- Dune is much more interested in the science part of science fiction, and there are all sorts of franchises that do more or less with that. That's not uh, an insult against the franchise or anything, but like the whole thing with uh, charging the faster than light drive. I was just sitting there and I was like, "Why don't we just do that all the time?" Yeah, that would seem like the easiest thing in the world to do. I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> I always thought it was just like, oh, if you hit FTL, it'll like make an explosion that blows up like half a planet. So nobody ever does it. Uh, but no, you can apparently just like missile it, uh, you know, light speed through an imper- like something the size of a Volkswagen can take out an Imperial Star Destroyer if you hit the FTL drive the light t- right time. And I'm like, well, if only the Rebels had discovered this sooner, we'd be out on like six movies. I mean, the Rebels had FTL capable fighters. Why not just do that? Why not just do that in, in, in a new dude, hope? Where are the and X-wing suicide squads? <laughs> just <laughs> Porkins was on his way out anyway. Oh man! Stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> so I, I guess the real question is: was was Porkins IRA? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I'm sorry. Why would you name the only fat character in the first Star Wars movie Porkins? <laughs> That's always bothered me. Dude, who else? Uh, oh my god, who else? So I saw some article where Porkins is somebody else uh, in another movie, and I can't remember now. So speaking of science fiction, uh, one of the things that I do want to bring up is uh, a story, and it's called All Tomorrows. Are you familiar, Tom? I've heard about it. You've mentioned it on the sh- on the podcast before, but I don't think I've ever read it. It's a very short story. Okay, it's a very short story about a very long period of time by an author named C.M. Kosamen. And by the way, C.M. Kosamen, if you're listening, which, I mean, that would be incredible if C.M. Kosamen were listening. Uh, if you like us and you like our podcast and you ever want to, like, uh, phone in or email the podcast and come on and talk to us about your incredible work, that would make us really happy. And we will get you a gift certificate to Walmart or the Waffle House so you can see a fight and you can get the real Southern experience. Maybe you'll even see Waffle House Wendy herself. Please, please email us, CM Kosamen. So what CM Kosamen's work is, is it's act like it's science fiction. And what I mean by that is, is it, it's de- it's it deals with deep time. Warhammer takes place like 40,000 years in the future. Hence Warhammer 40k. Dune, you said, is like 20,000 years in the future. Uh, All Tomorrows takes uh, place in like deep time evolutionary scales, right? Like the dinosaurs died 65 million years ago. This is, well, you know, this is 65 million years from now plus. And it's basically about humanity as they leave Earth and they become uh, an intergalactic civilization. And then they run into this, uh, these beings known as the Q, who basically genetic, it's their religion to go around genetically engineering, perfecting life. And they basically just like 
kidnap man and defeat they defeat man very quickly uh in all his like variety and turn them into all sorts of horrifying stuff you know there's a planet that actually successfully uh pushes back against the queue twice so the queue basically turned them into living toilet toilets so that's horrible (laughs) they make human beings uh that are like explicitly amphibious beings that like live underwater all sorts of stuff anyway it's incredibly imaginative it's incredible science fiction i absolutely love it and i really want to do that caveat just so i could like put out the long shot request that CM Kosaman might actually talk to us because I've, uh, if you're curious about all tomorrows, by the way, go to his website, read his work. Uh, he also does a bunch of the art and the art is absolutely incredible, but I think you can also go to the YouTube channel, alt shift X where, uh, he narrates it and he does an incredible job of it. So moving on from sci-fi into fantasy, and maybe you're gonna, maybe you're gonna get mad at me for using this term. Uh, I think everybody knows at this point I make no bones about my feelings with Marvel. And whenever I say fantasy, modern fantasy, I mean Marvel. And Marvel is fantasy. I don't I don't view Marvel as sci-fi. Uh, I can't disagree with that. Now, for a bunch of reasons we're probably going to get into, and I think the number one being that it violates all the key tenets of a good hero story arc, I don't like Marvel. Now, I'll qualify that and say whenever Marvel... My first introduction to Marvel was everybody's introduction to Marvel. And that was Iron Man 1 with Robert Downey Jr. Whenever Iron Man 1 came out in what? 2008? 2009? Nobody had any indication, probably except for like the highest up execs at Disney, that this was going to become the massive franchise it became. Like, hero movies had been done before, but they never took off, and people always responded to them badly. Like, there was a Hulk with Edward Norton, and it did, like, abysmally. Well, and before that, there was a Hulk with Eric Bana, and nobody remembers that one. Right. Oh, and there's, you know... uh, the only superhero movies that had ever really worked were like the Batmans. And that was, you know, that was like the nineties, Tim Burton Batman. Well, and, and to a lesser extent, well, actually I say to a greater extent, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, but even then they fell from grace pretty hard with Spider-Man three because they had emo Spider-Man. Oh God. Even I remember that, but no, so nobody had the, had uh, any clue that Marvel would become the institution that it ultimately became this, just this, this, uh, billion dollar industry of just milling out movie after movie where they have to like divide them into phases and here's the thing when i watched iron man i liked iron man and the reason why i liked iron man is because in my eyes at least it was a good story and one of the reasons why i think it's a good story is it follows a lot of the classical archetypes and chronology of a classical story right so so walk me through your theory how Tony Stark is Odysseus. Well, uh, you know, actually, he doesn't necessarily have to be. Like, he is obviously clever, so it would be sort of intuitive to 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 uh, reckon him as Odysseus. But uh, he could also be, uh, like, argued to be an Achilles too, right? He's just this incredibly arrogant jerk but he has basically he has the capabilities to do whatever he wants what uh one of the things that i liked about iron man is that he is a good man with a good heart who wants to do good things uh you know he starts out and you see him is this very cavalier playboy 
who has very low empathy and doesn't care about the people around him. And he goes through this traumatic experience uh, in not Afghanistan, in which during the time movie was made, we were absolutely deeply involved in. Uh, you know, I think I think the the terrorist group he deals with are called the Ten Rings, which yeah. are basically like the Taliban in this universe or whatever. And he goes to this traumatic experience where he's stuck in a cave, and they want him to engineer stuff, and he ends up engineering this suit in a cave in Afghanistan, and then he breaks out, and it's it's badass, it's absolutely incredible. To watch. You mean he built a suit in a cave with a box of scraps? Yeah, great line by the way, great line from a great movie. Right, right, right. And so here's the thing: is like. Uh, after his experience, because his big thing is like, he's uh, a defense or, uh, he's in the defense business. Like in the story, his, uh, his father, I think his father had never really wanted them to be geared as much as they were towards defense contracting. And under his tenure, they became pretty dedicated. They were almost an entirely defense, uh, industry oriented company. They they did have other, I mean, they, he makes a point about talking about, um, uh, using technology for crops and medications, but it all came from military funding. Right. And this was in the zeitgeist of the time. Cause if it was, if it would, I mean, double check it, but if it did come out in 2008, this was whenever, uh, uh, large scale wars by America were being carried out by Republicans, which means that the media complex, which is generally Democrat leaning was more than happy to call out, the defense state and its penetration into the U.S. military. Now, now that you know the other side is is waging said war, that's no longer in the zeitgeist. That's why you don't see any Iron Mans out? But whenever Iron Man came out, that was very, very much uh, pouring out of the lied culture. This idea that uh, the defense industry is bad, that it's sort of controlling everything. And Tony Stark is this member of the defense industry. He goes through this traumatic experience in not Afghanistan, and he decides he wants to change the world using the superpower he has. And the superpower is that he's very, very smart and very, very rich. Yes. And it was 2008. And it, I think a, it, an interesting point is that in Iron Man 2, which a lot of people say is the weakest Iron Man movie, but I actually preferred it, uh, he's actually being interviewed by a Brown University graduate journalist. And is that's when he brings up that they have... Uh, engineered uh, certain types of uh, agricultural innovations, they've in, uh, innovated medications, and that all of that research came from military funding. So I think there was still an attempt there um, to defend some of that kind of military-industrial complex, uh, you know, trickle down into civilian sector research. But it felt slightly disingenuous because he was doing it in a very snarky and sarcastic way. Right. And here's the thing. One of the things that I like about Tony Stark is like, he is a hero, but uh, he is also a Greek hero in a lot of ways. And it's because he's such a jerk. He has, he doesn't just have one flaw. He has a lot of flaws, but his main flaw is that he's just incredibly, unbelievably arrogant. Yeah. Which is why, which is by the way, why I more liken him to, Achilles than Odysseus. And it makes sense that But way. I mean, he could really he he could realistically fit either. I don't think it's a meaningful exercise to try to determine which Greek hero he fits because the main point here is just saying that he has a mythical power, right? He has access to this suit and he also just has uh deep character flaws that prevent him from being you know, just an absolute raging Giga Chad, uh, AKA a Gary Sue. And it makes his story interesting. It's fun. I remember watching the Iron Man movie 
And for the first time in my life, because I was, you know, what can I say? I was a very boring kid. Uh, I never liked superheroes. All my friends loved reading superhero comics growing up. I've never cared. I've always thought superheroes were dumb and stupid and, and childish. And for the first time in my life, after watching Iron Man 1, I found myself actually talking about, like, comic book lore kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, so what's the actual backstory behind Tony Stark to my friends who actually read this stuff? As the Marvel Universe went on as they got more money and they started milling out more movies it just got worse and worse it got more and more unwatchable until uh you know i have friends that work within that industry who really don't like the fact that i'm so down on marvel and they insist that it's like no come over to my house we'll watch all the marvel movies like it's like a cult they're always trying to convert me so i ended up watching most of them uh i only got halfway through miss marvel before i turned it off and i was like i could be cleaning my closet right now i could be doing literally anything but watching whatever the hell this is uh I haven't seen too many of the new ones. I haven't seen Shang-Chi or whatever. No, I, I, the only post-Endgame uh, movies that I cared to watch were uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And then I think the two of us went to go see uh, uh, Doctor Strange. Dude, here's the thing. So I actually liked the Sam Raimi Doctor Strange. That yeah. Now. There, it, it was fun, but there were some things. Okay, no, 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 no. here's the thing. It's like, it was fun. There were some things that I think, if you know us well enough, you're going to be like, okay, look, there's there's, there's a Mexican superhero, and her power is literally crossing borders, and her, and her name is America. Okay, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I mean, there's on the nose, and then there's that. No, then they're like, you know, because it's a modern Marvel movie and they absolutely, you know, they got to drive that ESG score up, guys. We got to we got to we got to make we got to make that ESG money. They put a bunch of stuff in there where you're just like, all right, that doesn't meaningfully contribute to the story. Like, you know, some character has to have like two moms or two dads or something, but fine, whatever. They'll introduce these characters as basically a fait accompli, which is to say it's their what are you going to do about it? nothing right it's all it's almost a kafka trap if you protest against it the very fact of your protest can be used to be like oh well you must be some kind of bigot and it's just little nonsensical stuff like that that gets peppered throughout that sort of ruins it for me but overall i you know i don't I don't mind whenever you stick some of that stuff in but it's whenever it's done in a way that was done in like Amazon's Wheel of Time. Oh, God. We're not talking about that again. This isolated village out in the mountains that looks like downtown L.A., there's a there's an Asian family with a black child. And I'm, we're, I'm, I'm not listening to this. I'm not. We cannot do this one again. <laughs> where you move from, we diversify movies to make them a representation of the world to where we are making an absolute hyper-reality of what we think the world should like look like to the point where it looks insane. I remind you once again, an Asian family with a black child. In or, a geographically isolated village that effectively has no meaningful contact with the outside world. Or an obviously Asian-coded, like, samurai honor culture, where one of the head dudes is, like, looks like jeff loomis like a blonde haired blue-eyed viking you're like what are you doing there like bjornhild (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, so here's the thing: is like I really uh, I enjoy at least some of the Marvel stuff. Spider Spider Man No Way Home. That was I, fun. That was fun. I and and, and it was like it was an effective use of the nostalgia. It didn't rehash the old, uh, you know story beats it didn't say oh hey you remember this character you really like this character right yeah you remember now give us money no it was it was (laughs) it was nostalgia that actually had a point and they they were plot important uh, story beats that they brought back that actually made a compelling story well is it is uh so the last spider-man movie that i saw was the one where they had like the Tobey Maguire and the like, Andrew Garfield. Yeah. That's no way home. Okay. So that was the, the two Spider-Man movies that I saw that I really liked were that one. Cause I thought that was really cool. I thought at first I was just like, this is kind of a stupid concept, but then I kept watching it. And I was like, I'm actually having fun. The one that I really had fun with, and I feel like they could have gone 10 miles more. I would watch a sequel to this is the one where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays uh, Mysterio. Mysterio. And like the villain, like what's the villain's power? Fake news. (laughs) What's the villain's power? Special effects. It's the villain's power is just lies with technology. It's, yeah, it it was incredible and it was fun. So he's Jeff Zucker. No, because like what happens is it's been a long time. So uh, Marvel movies are... Uh, plot wise they are so simplistically done if you watch a marvel movie and you get really surprised i think maybe you're probably a very easily surprised person but whenever i was watching that spider-man with like because i didn't know who mysterion was i didn't know any of that lore uh whenever you find out that mysterion is like they do that they know they do this (laughs) mysterion is uh the uh the character from south park Oh, wait. Mysterio. Mysterio. Okay, fine. So Mysterio. Well, look, this is like, look, I'm like a boomer talking about, like. Uh, I'm sorry. I just revealed oh, I yeah, actually Billy's really enjoyed Billy's up in his room Nintendoing. Like, all right. So Mysterio. Don't edit this out. Let everybody know what a moron I am. That, like, I, I spend my time on a podcast critiquing something I know very little about, which is the mark of professionalism. So here's the thing, though, is like that twist with Mysterio where he's in a bar and he's like, you know, and he's just like, it's okay to feel down little buddy. You're worth it. Like you're a hero. You saved the day. And as soon as he leaves, he does like that. Jake Gyllenhaal does like that character turn where he, where like you, you finally the, the role drops, the role drops. And I was just like, I was sitting there in the theater and I was like, Oh damn. Like that was, that was good. really well done. It was, it was one of the better done scenes in the, in not just that movie, but I think in the whole Marvel. Franchise. And I was just like, what a Marvel movie where, where something, cool is going on that's not just the visual effects they're actually doing in the story i'm very i'm happy whenever i see that i want to like i want to name it whenever it happens yeah it just didn't happen in any of the like all the thor movies all the captain american movies just bored me to tears i i would kind of disagree about captain america i think winter soldier had it was telegraphed that hydra was a thing and when in captain america uh and the winter soldier but I think the reveal of just how deep Hydra was in in Shield was enough such that it even the telegraphing was acceptable, and I I really enjoyed that one because it was kind of a, a commentary on the surveillance state, and it was coming out right when a lot of people were starting to uh, really critique. Uh, more of what was going on with the surveillance state in the real world. And I think it was happening contemporaneously with like Edward Snowden and Julian Assange and all that. 
So, so that, that about the time frame it came out, so like 2014. I want to say yes. I think that's that that actually sounds pretty right. Um, but in any case, it was one of those movies where it's like, oh, this is a superhero movie that is less superhero and more espionage, and it just happens to have some superhero esque fight scenes. Um, and it it was it wasn't the you know stunning visuals of the other Marvel movies because it was much more contained. You didn't have the cameos from like Iron Man or Thor or anybody. It was just Captain America and then Black Widow and yes, Falcon. But at the same time, you only see him flying around with the wings at the very end in the climax when you had the helicarriers doing their thing. Here's what I'll say about Marvel that I do like, even as somebody who just generally doesn't like superhero stuff is that, uh, I would say I'm a big fan of this idea, but this idea is so obvious. I don't know how you could be necessarily just a fan of it. It just seems like sort of an objective truth that stories are best told by people who like the stories they're telling. Okay. And that's true with any franchise. And in the early years of Marvel, whenever I watch Marvel movies like the early Iron Man, even Thor, which I couldn't stand, or Captain America, which, you know, I've never been like a big fan of. Whenever you watch those, even if you don't like them, it's very obvious that the people writing them and the people acting in them really, really love what they're doing. There's no contempt for the property. Nothing like what Amazon did with Lord of the Rings or like, or what they did with like Wheel of Time or so many other properties where you can tell that the people making it didn't actually really care about the inner workings of the underlying property. Well, I think something that's come out lately is um, you're starting to see fairly substantiated accounts that these uh, production houses are saying, we don't want fans of this property. We don't want people who read comic books producing or writing our comic book movies. Oh, my God. Everything that the producers of The Witcher uh, have come out and said in the wake of Henry Cavill leaving. Because I now The Witcher is a franchise I really do like. And here's the thing. I even liked the first two seasons of. Yeah, it was it was very well done. I enjoyed it. Like, look, here's the thing. Like, was it badly edited in some places? Sure. Did I like the Did I like the whole memento back and forth in time storytelling thing? Not necessarily. But I was so into the universe. I had fun watching. And it was true to the universe. It was true. Well, it was mostly true to the universe. But like, yeah, it was an adaptation. And about as honest as you, and, and about as true as you could hope. It's for. about as much as I could hope for from Netflix. <laughs> so, dude, it's at this point, it's I feel like my bar is so low I'm, that you know, well, you 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 kept it in the right universe, yeah. I guess, guys. But no, so like the thing is, I actually did enjoy watching The Witcher, and uh, you know, they once again they made some of those little ninja slight changes where they're like, "What's wrong? Why don't you like that? Say why you don't like it." Like, yeah. right? But, like, they made some of those little changes, and they're annoying, but they're not enough to take you out of it. Which, by the way, if we're going to get on the subject, uh, even a little bit of diversity casting, let me just clarify something. I am not against it in essence. And, in fact, one of my favorite series that just did it really, really well was House of the Dragon. Have you watched House of the Dragon? I have not. I don't have HBO. Okay, Because well, I'm a poor well, okay. Well, by the way, spoilers ahead. If you haven't watched House of the Dragon, it's it's been out for a while. But basically, House of Valerian, which is one of these uh, one of these uh, houses that came over to Westeros and, and uh, conquered it, is black, or they're portrayed as black in the 
in the show. I don't know if they're explicitly said to be black in the movie. And here's the thing. A lot of people were whinging that this was needless diversity casting, but they don't do like the weird out of place diversity casting anywhere else because Westeros is obviously like Western Europe, which is white people. Right. And then you have the only black people are this, uh, this, uh, valerian family called the valerians and what was there is i sat there and i i for a minute i sort of participated in the whining and i was just like look they like they had to make them they had to make this uh family line black and you you could see the the meeting they had in the back of the hbo room that was just like we have to have some diversity in here but then it actually fits with the story one of the key plot points of the story is that uh, one of the character's kids, who's married to a Valerian, his kids don't look like him, right? They're both Targaryen, so they have white hair, but the differentiating factor is skin color, and it's very obvious that her kids are white, and they should be half black, and they are not, and this is a part of like a huge succession crisis that leads to a war. And it's actually a place where diversity casting not only fit in with the plot but it actually fed into the plot in a way that made sense so it wasn't just arbitrary we have to tick this checkbox and meet this quota dude it was not like wheel of time where every other scene was a community college recruitment poster where you could see (laughs) you could see the producer meeting where they were like every single frame has to have one indian female one korean male (laughs) i (laughs) <laughs> I, I know we did that episode about that a while back, but I have not only not watched that show since, I have actively scrubbed most of it from my memory by reading uh, the first book in the series again, which is fantastic literature, and I think I gave it to you, Sean, and I know I know for a fact you haven't finished it. Yeah, okay, look at how... What does my reading list look like, Tom? <laughs> Fair. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get to that when I can. But no, what I'm saying is, here's the thing, is like, House of the Dragon did a great job with the diversity casting. I don't, like, I'm not one of those people who sits there and anytime you have a property and they make a character, somebody who's not white, I'm not one of these people who, like, throws their hands up and I'm just like, it's the end of Western civilization. Like, I don't like it whenever it's done. Like, people in general don't like being propagandized. And if you insert things in a show in a way which is obviously trying to prod me in a Kafka trap type way where it's like, yeah, it's like whenever, uh, so if anybody's wondering, a Kafka trap is a statement that is crafted in such a way that protesting against it seems to confirm its truth. So uh, why are all white men so fragile? I'm not fragile. Oh, that sounds pretty fragile to me. You're denying that you're fragile. That's a Kafka trap. And sometimes it feels like a lot of the hiring policies within like my favorite franchises sometimes they feel very kafka trap-esque and the people doing it should understand that a lot of their pushback comes from the fact that people generally don't like being treated that way and it's not because they're racist yeah we don't we don't necessarily like these rhetorical traps of heads you win tails i lose right so once again, anyways and i also just wanted to talk about house of the dragon because house of the dragon was incredible uh and uh uh patty considine does some like, I don't know how actors rate stuff. Just like five star, ten out of ten, incredible. Like S tier <laughs> acting. And the, here's the thing: is like, uh, whenever it starts, uh, and apparently my friends who have read the book are just like, dude, his character uh, Viserys is just like an aggressively like boring character. But Patty Considine managed to turn him into like, you know, he's surrounded by this chaos, and to be quite honest, just like the shittiest family on earth. 
And he's just this old man who's like, I just want everybody to love each other and get along. Uh, spoiler alert, they don't love each other. They don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to say, you've, you've sold me on getting HBO for at least as long as it takes to watch this. Uh, go watch House of the Dragon to see to see something well done. Uh, yeah. On, on kind of going back to The Witcher... You know, Henry Cavill is moving on to another franchise that we both love. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was wondering if this was going to come up. Well, we don't know what... Okay, he's going to Warhammer, but we don't know what story in Warhammer he's going to do. Now, I... If you've been online and you've seen any of the discussion around this, you probably know that there is some contention as to what that could be. And I'm less concerned about what the actual story is. I don't necessarily care... If he's going to do something with the Inquisition, I don't necessarily care if he's going to be a space marine or in the Imperial Guard. All I care about is that they are honest to the franchise and they don't try and make the Imperium of Man uh, 21st century America. Oh my god, I know. Well, it, and, and I'm hopeful because part of the reason Cavill left uh, The Witcher and left Netflix is because ostensibly he was not satisfied with the respect for the source material. If that's true, that has me optimistic because that I think that means that he would walk away from Amazon money if they were trying to do something right. I hinky hope, with I, it. I hope he maintains like the watertight integrity of the war. Because here's the thing. I, am, uh, I was actually just uh, talking about this precise thing with a very close friend last night, and he looked over at me, and he was talking about uh, whenever it comes to like fandom stuff, because I mean we're nerds, and so I guess we're involved in a bunch of fa as much as I hate that term, because I don't consider myself like in a fandom, right? Like, no. I'm, I'm not. There's not like an alien fandom. I just like watch and buy alien stuff. But he was like, "So are you like for or against gatekeeping?" And he said it in a way which was like, obviously, if you're a good person, you should be against gatekeeping. And he was really taken aback when I was like, "Obviously, I'm for gatekeeping. I think gatekeeping is good." And it's because one of the things that makes certain franchises wonderful is how unique they are, and sometimes that uniqueness lends itself to inaccessibility. And it's nice whenever other people, there's some German word out there for like the feeling of other people enjoying something that you enjoy that you normally don't think they would enjoy. But here's the, the Germans problem. have words for everything, right? Well, I don't know that I'm, I'm assuming they have a word. They must have a word. So here's my thing though, is that Warhammer is a very, very, we've talked about Warhammer on several occasions on this podcast. Uh, we talked about the heroism within the universe, right? It's a grim, dark universe, and the heroism within it is made more heroic and more bright by the fact that it's such a vast, you know, it's almost like finding a hero within, like, a Lovecraftian universe, right? Yeah. It's, there, there's a light to be found in the middle of the nihilism, and it's an, it's an incredibly robust, it's well thought out, it's a very, very large universe. And the problem is, when you open this up, to the general public and you and you bring in a lot of fans and you bring in a lot of fans who are new to the content what you're inevitably going to get is i mean it's a law of averages right the more people you have uh, involved into any given thing the the more the nature of interacting with that thing and the subsequent content within it is going to look like an average of the people involved yeah uh warhammer has uh, if you're familiar with the Warhammer universe, uh, you do not want to live in the Imperium. You don't want to live anywhere in the Warhammer universe. 
No, like, here's the thing, though, is that you don't want to, like, maybe live with the town? No, they, they sterilize uh, and engage in, you know, genocidal pogroms. Fair. But, okay, but, okay, so you don't, but you definitely don't want to live in the Imperium, because the Imperium is basically, like, every single dystopian book you were forced to read in high school, uh, it, like, kicked through, like, times ten. And then force-fed uh, kilo of cocaine. And then force-fed uh, corpse starch rations, as it is called in the universe. <laughs> Which is basically just Soylent Green. Like, okay, so in the Warhammer universe, the cops are basically all Judge Dredd. They're called Arbides, which is basically kind of an indication of how life is going to go for you. The point is, is that uh, it's a very obvious commentary on a lot of things. The Imperium is a mishmash of, like, sci-fi dystopias of a religious theocracy caricatures of the medieval catholic church i mean for god's sake one of the central story points is around a guy named eisenhorn who's a member of something called the inquisition uh and what happens is if you spend enough time on warhammer forums you will begin to see people get into very very uh trenchant political debates about whether or not you know uh, so basically to save you a lot of time and and reading a lot of screeching and bleeding from your eyes on the internet uh generally it's uh rightists being like uh, the imperium is is awesome and cool and it sort of like mimics the things that i think are badass which is like you know uh uh, the force of violence of the state combined with the aesthetics of the church. And then you have the leftists who are just like, this is a commentary on fascism and everything we should hate. Uh, like people, what people do, they do what they do with any uh, sci-fi dystopia, whether you're talking about Warhammer or whether you're talking about 1984 or Brave New World, anybody with any political stance will come in and they will superimpose their ideas as to what's going on. And whenever you get a lot of people doing that in the fandom, you eventually get pressure on Games Workshop, which is, you know, surprisingly uh, difficult to pressure. Yeah. You know, I mean, we certainly can't pressure them to let fans create uh, independent media or have a reasonable pricing model for the books or the plastic models for the games. And we certainly can't pressure them into, you know, any kind of intelligent uh, balance for the tabletop game itself. But I, will, I will say that uh, the most Warhammer thing about loving Warhammer is Games Workshop. Games Workshop <laughs> is like dealing with Games Workshop is like dealing with the Imperium because <laughs> they're awful. accurate. And here's the thing is like, I love Warhammer. I love the franchise man, but like every single time there's some like games workshop story of just like, Oh yeah, they sued somebody else. or they like screwed somebody else over a property. And yeah. all I'm saying is let brother alpha Busa bring back. If the emperor had a touch, uh, free my boy. Free my boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if it's still up on YouTube because games workshop went real hard on, uh, taking down a lot of these independently created. Uh, okay. So yeah, was he the guy who did a, if, the emperor had a text yeah he's the device. one who had the if the emperor had a text i learned device. so much warhammer lore from that stupid series if, if you've listened to us this long talking about warhammer and you still don't and you haven't taken a dive into that if you can find it go on youtube look up if the emperor had a text-to-speech device and it's the story of the basically undead god emperor of mankind Wait, getting a text-to-speech device and being told what's been happening in the Imperium. It is the best primer for the lore. Spoiler alert, he's not pleased. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's hilarious, and the liberties it takes with the official canon are acceptable in that they are very funny. 
Well, I mean, for the love of God, the the the, the head custodes, whose name is Kitten, yes, uh, plays a game of basically like Yu-Gi-Oh with the Chaos God of Change. Look, you really—it's explaining it on the podcast is going to be really weird, so you should probably just go check it. Yeah, out. it's anyways. Worth it. What I was saying about the Warhammer fandom, though, if you start getting large amounts of people within the fandom who uh, you're eventually going to get large amounts of people who are starting who are going to start demanding that Warhammer be changed to fit their political sensibilities. And, you know, there have been, you know, uh, they'll want to make Warhammer more accessible to people that it's not accessible to. Like, look, Warhammer is like the grimdark universe. And they made a, they made like a, like Warhammer for kids thing and it failed miserably. And it was rightly mocked horribly. Because it looked stupid. (laughs) I was like, why is Caillou wearing a tech marine robe? <laughs> I mean, when you have uh, children, like actual children, um, wearing uh, Adeptus Mechanicus garb or, uh, you know. Like, oh, yeah, was this eight-year-old boy junior? put through the traumatic, like, uh, list of surgeries you have to go to or replace all your organs to become, like, a tech adept? Is Well, and I think one of the best memes I, that I saw came out of it was the cover of that book and then a picture of a Necron with or I would know it was a Chaos Space Marine, and it had a bunch of skulls around its be- around its belt, and it just said, "Remember those kids from Warhammer Adventures? <laughs> this is them now." Warhammer Adventures knows the property. Um, but no, I, th- I think gatekeeping is not inherently bad. I don't think it's inherently good either. But I think in this case, the peculiarity of Warhammer is what makes it. Um, as popular as it is with the group that it's popular with. Let me look here. Okay. So let me come in on the other side of the gatekeeping thing. Now, whenever I first got into Warhammer, uh, I first got into the tabletop game because, uh, I lived down the street from a kid named Brandon and his older brother had the Warhammer 40 K rules book. And I didn't really care about like any of the board game stuff. I thought the lore stuff was cool. And I like borrowed that book and I just read, I like memorized the crap out of it. And then whenever I got a bit older, uh, you know, I went to some uh, gaming stores in Texas because I wanted to get into the Warhammer hobby. And I will say, and I am a nerd, right? Like I shower and I work out. So I'm not like some of the nerds I'm about to talk about, but like I am, I am a, an actual nerd, right? I spend probably a little bit too much time. Like I know more about the history of the Warhammer universe than the history of the thing. I actually have a PhD in, which is probably a problem, but so anyways, whenever I first got into the Warhammer hobby, I would go to game, uh, like I would go to like gaming workshops or like uh, uh, game shops that have contracted basically with games workshop to sell Warhammer stuff. And you go in and people are playing magic, the gathering and they're playing Warhammer. And if you are not in that gaming culture, it's a very inaccessible and hostile place. Uh, you go in, these people are not friendly. They no. will not turn around and talk to you. Yes, sometimes they're, they're a bunch of uh, fat people with their ass cracked showing and they have neck beards and they're like, okay, what do you want? And they're, sometimes they get very, very standoffish. They're very protective of their hobby and it's because they were probably bullied for it like growing up, whatever. And one of the problems is like, I really wanted to get into Warhammer. I didn't get into it for a very long time and it's because going to those shops and well, I like, okay, to, to put a finer point on it for the ladies out there, I uh, I have a few female friends that are actually into Warhammer. Yes, Tom, they exist. <laughs> I didn't believe it myself. Uh, you found unicorns? You would never know, and it's because, look, 
I don't like the experience of going into a gaming shop. No. Uh, any woman going into a gaming shop is automatically met with... with it's a gazelle walking in front of a uh, pride of lions. Yes, but they're... The lions are all fat and smelly. They're very fat, smelly, and effectual lions. They're <laughs> they're very bad at being lions, but they're just like... And that has to be... It's, if it's uncomfortable for me, I know it's uncomfortable for them. Look, when I'm talking about gatekeeping, that's not what I'm talking about. No. What I'm talking about is whenever somebody who's also into the hobby, uh, uh, you know, if you go onto a forum and you see somebody who sits there and they're just like, you know, I think the Imperium is too fascist coded. And I think, you know, if you like, uh, if you like there, I've seen all sorts of posts and stuff on these Facebook groups where people say, uh, if you're into the Imperium a whole lot, basically you're a fascist. And it's because like, if you think it's kind of like, you know, Oh, if you're into Roman mythology a little bit too much, you're a fascist. And you get a lot of people who really feel that way. And they'll start accusing people of politics that they don't have based on their interests with the Warhammer universe. Yeah. It's absolute nonsense. I mean, as someone who plays uh, a faction, well, I have, I have uh, an army that's Imperium. I have an army that's Chaos. I actually I have multiple armies that are I play chaos. Dark Eldar and I'm not in like a BDSM <laughs> club. Like, not fair. I mean, but I, I think the point that we're both trying to make is that we, we want to protect the, the thing that we enjoy and we don't want it to lose the parts about it that we do enjoy. Here's the thing is whenever I meet somebody, exactly. So whenever I meet somebody like you or like any of my other friends that I bonded with over this thing, that's into Warhammer I want to have a fun time talking about Warhammer. Uh, I really don't want to up the chances of like running into some other goober in the community where I'm just like, uh, yeah, have you read the Eisenhorn series? It's really cool. And they're like, Eisenhorn is Christian fascism. Okay, well, I'm going to go to the other side of the room now. Yeah. So <laughs> like, yes, I get it. None of these people, there are no good guys. I get it. I kind of enjoy that because it's, it's, it's a cartoon. It's, it's a cartoon in that these are all hyper-exaggerated things, but I can have fun doing it. Well, it's also sometimes, sometimes it's just badass. Like, yeah. it, it gives me the frisson. on, they're just like, oh yeah, there's like this battleship, and it's like the size of a Walmart, and it... <laughs> It looks like a cathedral. It looks like Notre Dame. And okay, it's just... you've, you've watched me playing uh, Battlefleet Gothic Armada <laughs> yeah. over, over Discord, and there's just something really, really cool about taking what effectively is a, a, you know, a moon, building a space fortress on it, strapping a bunch of engines to it, and then ramming that into enemy starships that are themselves several kilometers long, or launching broadsides of torpedoes and, you know, cannons. Cannons, uh, all with this very strong gothic aesthetic about it, where there's there's a lot of gold and brass, and everything is just amped up to eleven in terms of the aesthetic. You just look, even the little stuff in it, like so. In your example, in Battlefleet Gothic, Gothic, so in the like war in the lore of Warhammer, uh, you can't have AI because uh, in any good sci-fi universe, we developed AI, and then the AI almost murdered us all, so we passed a mandate against developing it. So, in order to perform a lot of calculations <laughs> necessary very quickly on a, on a battleship, you have a, basically like a psyker who's like hooked up with a whole bunch of crap. Well, no, that's the navigator. Well, I'm talking about the Imperial Cogitator. Oh, yeah. And the Imperial Cogitator is basically just like this, this doped up superhuman that, that 
can process like a computer. And whenever you start going to complex battle formations, you can slow down time in the game. And whenever you do, this like deep voice comes over and it's like, Imperial Cogitator activated. And like the first time that happened, I was like, yeah! Like I jumped out of my chair and I was like, badass! <laughs> Like, you feel like a kid again. You're like, it's so cool, bro. Oh, yeah, because we're we're using, you know, lobotomized uh, yeah, human... We're, <laughs> we're lobotomizing humans to basically be our MacBooks. So, like, some psyker who's just been, like, doped beyond, beyond, like, mental recognition just doing all my, like, math homework for me. Well, isn't that just Thufir Hawat, but on drugs? Yeah. Which is, by the way, this is why I can't ever meme too hard on Marvel Boys, because it's like, whenever I see a Marvel movie... Uh, and you know, it's obvious they set up this movie to be like, well, yeah, well, what if like Thor fought Iron Man and then you get to see like Thor fight Iron Man and stuff. Uh, I get like, cause there, I do that. I just do it for different franchises. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm sitting here playing like Battlefleet Gothic and I'm just like, Imperial Cogitator. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> like I know I'm like that. So I can't, I can't make fun of them. Too. Yeah. I mean, in all of the criticisms we've had for, uh, Star Wars and Marvel, I think it's, it's fair to say that part of the reason we criticize particularly the new Star Wars is because we both have that connection and that nostalgia for the original Star Wars. I even enjoyed the prequel trilogy. Um, I, I love the idea of pod racing. I wish there could have been more with that. Um, now this is pod racing. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe cut out the line about try spinning. That's a good trick. You know, the, <laughs> I'm just saying. I still enjoyed it every so often. If I if I really want to just feel that nostalgic, you know, twinge, I'll go watch it again, fully aware that it is immature and childish and very clearly a movie meant for children. Look, I'll just say this. Whenever it comes to the incredible number of sins that are committed against all these childhood favorite franchises, I just want everybody to know I hate because I love. Culture Camp is hosted by Sean and Gavin. It's recorded, produced, and edited by Tom. Our opening track is The Mountains Don't Care About You by Dr. Turtle, and our closing track is Freeze Frame by Stay Loose. You can contact us at culturecamp.cast at gmail.com. That's K-U-L-T-U-R-E-K-A-M-P dot cast at gmail.com to send us comments, questions, and topic ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at culturecampcast minds.com at culture camp and give us a five-star rating on spotify apple Podcasts, and google podcasts also share this podcast on social media and thanks for listening